would be honored if you would join us. How are you feeling? Your latest workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a matter of royal to help and heal human beings. Jedi, like my father before me. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Wars from the Back to Tank. I am Michael, your lovely host, and in the studio with me today is David. Hello, David. Hello, everybody. The not-so-lovely host. And then we have today Raina. Hello, Raina. Hey, guys. Thanks for inviting me into your tank. All right. Uh, Raina will be enjoying the Back to Waters as we discuss the Book of Boba Fett Chapter 3, The Streets of Mos Espa. The synapses, Boba must deal with two very different threats as he meanders like a nincompoop through Tatooine <laughs> with zero respect. No, 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 that's no, not no. what it says. That's, now, Mike, that's Mike, what let's... I added. I edited that on IMDb. <laughs> now, remember, Mike, positive, positive. <laughs> okay, so Boba Fett gets disrespected by a water broker. But what's new? Seems like falling into the Sarlacc pit has really neutered Fett. I understand what they're attempting to do with him, so it doesn't aggravate me, despite my my snarkiness here. It doesn't aggravate me like it obviously aggravates other viewers who are just kind of conflicted. They're not quite sure what they're trying to do with this character. He's very different than a character that a lot of people had assumed we would get based on now retconned expanded universe material. Uh, personally, I really like that they are taking time to recontextualize Fett as a character from a writing perspective or from a story perspective, I should say it's fine. But this version of Fett has left OG fans a bit disenchanted. A little bit because it's, I, I'm, I want to give it the benefit of the doubt because you know, I'm sure we're going to find out further on in the episodes why he has this character, these characteristics that I think a lot of Star Wars fans aren't jiving with, with mm-hmm. the character. But I, I, I'm approaching it as basically let's give it time and yeah. let them give them that chance to explain the inner workings of Boba Fett right now. Yeah. What about you, Raina? How do you feel? Cause I know you have read a lot of comics and books specifically from the expanded universe side of things that is now considered what legends or legacy. What, Le- is, what is legends? I legends. Thought. Yeah. So wh- how are you feeling so far overall about the characterization of Fett? Uh, I'm having a hard time because I'm expecting this ruthless bounty hunter or just this ruthless character in general. And I'm not getting that. So I'm not getting full satisfaction. But I am interested to see where the story goes. I'm going to give it at least that. Because like I said previously or you know, prior to the show starting. Yeah. Maybe he just had a lot of time in the Sarlacc pit to think things yeah. over. And reevaluate stuff. <laughs> well that's. See how you say maybe he had time to reflect in the Sarlacc pit. I, see that there's a, there's a communication error within the writing. Something is not being conveyed. And I'm saying this because we did watch ahead. 
and we do. So spoiler, hopefully you guys are, this isn't going to ruin anything for you. It's not that big of a reveal. I want to say in the next episode, episode four, they let you know that five years has gone by. Yes. That he was living within the Tuscan Raider community for five years. And it makes, it makes sense when we get to that point that basically that time frame really does should change him. Not only that, we should have been aware that he was off with the Tuscans off with for, the Tuscans five, for years. five years. We should have known this a lot sooner because then I probably wouldn't have like the same problems that Reyna's having because mm-hmm. we're not, we were left wondering why he's so different because I had said, well, okay, the idea of the whole dances with wolves scenario, he's living with the indigenous folk and he's going to learn a new way of life and become you- in touch with his spirituality. I like all that. Yeah. But the reason why I didn't buy it is because I had assumed he was out there for a couple weeks and yeah. a month, you, you know, you but, think that he's only out there for a couple days even. Yeah. Now suddenly many of the little logistical problems I had with the opening two episodes, also now changes after watching episode four. Oh, five years has gone by. Suddenly it makes sense that he couldn't fight Tusken Raiders five minutes before he suddenly took out a giant sand lizard. Yes. Now it makes sense because a lot more time is passing than is actually being conveyed. And also the fact of the matter is even during that time, when you get to, when you get to that explanation, you begin to realize not only was he there for five years with the Tuscan Raiders, but also he spent time in the Starlight Pit, which means, you know, he was being slowly digested and had to spend oh. that entire time <laughs> reliving memory, his his traumas yeah. within the Starlight Pit. The Starlight Pit. Starlight Pit. The Starlight Pit. And then, like, so, unfortunately, just like what you said, the some strange reason, <laughs> I put this up to John Favreau's feet. Yeah. He didn't convey that. It, the, he should have conveyed that since day one. I don't. I want to be clear. Okay, we may sound like we're complaining. We're just doing our jobs yes. to analyze the show because I am enjoying the show quite a bit. Same here. But there are writing problems. Oh and yeah. It, and when you say you're going to lay it at Favreau's feet, it no, put it on top of his head because <laughs> the reason why we have these problems and. We're not fully understanding why Fett's acting a certain way is because there's no context. There's nothing given. Maybe he wants that five-year passing to be like this this reveal. Oh, five years. Meanwhile, we're left scratching our head watching a meandering putz walk through the desert. Yeah, and also (laughs) the the thing that really hinders particularly this episode is I know for a fact— but a lot of fans were like wondering why the heck is he being treated the way he is? Doesn't that bother you? And, and in this episode, fan? but but when you no. but when you get to when you get to further on and you realize times passed, yeah, his reputation is 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 a bit faded now, and also he's only known because of the free, wearing the freaking helmet. If he takes off the helmet to everybody well, how, else, how do he doesn't know even know. He does. He doesn't. How do we know that? No one cares. But how do we know that? Because like I see you, a lot of people saying Boba Fett shouldn't be taking his mask off. But what are you basing that on? For all we he's know, he's always taken. He's not a Mandalorian. Yes. And also, for all we know, he's always taken his mask off. We just have never seen him. Jango Fett took his mask off all the time. So why wouldn't think- Boba Fett? Well, people are assuming that 
the little bit that we got in Empire Strikes Back is suddenly the uh, the epitome of Boba Fett. And the sad truth is that's a moment. That's a moment. That's a exactly. moment in his life. We don't know this character. And that's why ultimately at the end of the day, I honestly don't have a problem that they're doing this with Fett. I don't mind that they're making him more about social, not social justice, uh, about fighting injustice and fighting injustice. I don't mind that because we don't know Fett at all. What I have a problem with is how they're not conveying why we're getting these inconsistencies in character. Why is Fett allowing people to disrespect him so blatantly? Well, especially since this is, this is actually an interesting point that I actually wrote for this episode. Mike was like, you realize that, when we look back at Star Wars, and we put, I'm glad you brought the Empire Strikes Back moment of Boba Fett. All of fans, all of fans, like basically representation on Boba Fett hinders on that one line between him and Darth Vader. One line, yeah, no which is no disintegration, as you wish. And everyone basically from then on thought Boba Fett was this gangster wannabe, just like what you said. I'm going to pop a cap in his ass. Pop a cap in his ass. If, if, if he basically just looks at me the wrong way. But that was the problem. Everyone just assumed that. Yeah. Instead of actually well, trying to base it on, I don't know, character, to, actual honest to God character development. That's why I think the decision ultimately to slow play this development for Fett, it's not going to work out in their favor because it's not. It actually isn't working out in their favor because a lot of people are just a bit frustrated and confused as to why Fett is doing certain things. We don't really know what his agenda is either. He's kind of just floating around yeah. for, I want to say next episode, he finally definitively says why he's why doing, he's doing something. Yeah. I'm like four episodes for you to openly admit to your business partner, we're now talking about the next episode, so maybe I should pull back on that. Yes. But, it, <laughs> yes. but, but it gets a little frustrating. Now, I do say that I, I will say that the flashbacks, I do like what they're doing with flashbacks. Typically, yeah. I don't. And as we said during our last discussion, I do like that they're cluing us in on Fett's transformation. I, I feel like they could give us a little more in that regard. But we do understand that his worldview or ideology has changed. We aren't quite sure why it has changed. Possibly his near death experience has changed him being in the Sarlacc pit as Raina had mentioned, that could definitely be uh, a catalyst for his change, but it stings a fan of star Wars to see this character just get berated and disrespected by everyone. I can only imagine they're doing this. So that the finale is much sweeter when he comes out victorious and just blows people away. Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm the only for. fans that are watching this with the background that we have, meaning the books, you know, yeah. the expanded universe. So I'm wondering if the people that are watching it, the fans that are watching it, that are have only seen him in the movies, if they're enjoying this a little bit more or maybe they're less... Oh, yeah. Like tense. I feel tense when I'm watching it. I'm like, okay, come on, come on. Yeah. No, I thought about the same thing. In fact, David, I think you and I had mentioned this off air that there's probably fans out there who don't know all of the expanded universe stuff. And, oh, let's, yeah. and let's be honest, most, what was the percentage of, there was a percentage that was put out a years back by one of our authors, by one of the Star Wars authors that we interviewed on our show. And he actually 
put out a percentage of the people who actually read the comics and the books. And it's a relatively small percentage. I want to say it's under 5%. Yeah. So taking that into effect or into, uh, let's bring that into context, I should say, of our discussion. We're the only ones. A very small percentage of people are probably confused or frustrated. And for the most part, the people are probably just watching it as if they're finally learning about this character. So that is a good point, Raina, because, I mean, let's be honest, most people aren't reading the comics and the books and well, think and of, all those other things. Think about it, too, is like, especially in this episode, not a lot of people know about the character of Black Chrysanthemum. They don't. But the way that the, this is what is really frustrating about this episode, you have these moments like with Boa Fett where you're like going, why the heck is he doing this? But then you have moments like a simple moment with Black Chrysanthemum where you fully understand <laughs> Black Chrysanthemum as a character. He's a badass. He doesn't take shit from anybody. <laughs> and it takes a bunch of people to beat him up. Well, that's the best part by far of of the episode and probably of the entire first three episodes to date is the black chrysanthemum fight scene. Oh dude, were you giddy when he just rips him out of the pool? <laughs> yes, I was because if you do listen to our discussions on Patreon, you would know that I love black chrysanthemum. Yes, you do. I think he's an amazing character. The way they introduced him into star Wars canon, you know, within the Darth Vader comics, he was partnered up with Dr. Aphra, one of my other favorite new star Wars, Disney era characters. Black Chrysanthemum is a beast. Yes. A gladiator, a former gladiator that just ripped arms, legs, heads. He had no, he has no real morality, no moral compass, at least a discernible moral compass. So when they introduced him in the previous episode, I was super giddy, but also very nervous because I wasn't <laughs> certain whether or not Disney would go the distance with a character like this. Yes. And sure enough, they went the distance. Oh yeah. In this episode. In and this they episode. portrayed him better than I would have expected. The fact that it took how many people to take him down? Like fifteen people. It took a ton because it took the, the, the new cyber gang. He got stabbed in the back. Yes. Kept fighting. He fought two Gamorian guards. Almost took the head off of a Gamorian. And dude, you know what I love about that scene too is like for someone, just like what we've been saying, a person who has not known about the, you know, new comics and everything mm -hmm. else, they just see this fight scene as this epic fight scene that says that this character is a monster. Like yeah. what you said, he will just wildly fight everybody. But as a comic book fan, we appreciate the little nuances they did in the fight because when he attacks the Gamorreans, mm -hmm. I love it because it was like... My my wife, who hasn't read any of the comics, does not know the character, but she loves Black Chrysanthemum now. Mm -hmm. And she's asking me, why the heck did he, he do that? And all of a sudden I said, because if you, it, that was a little nod to the comic book people, because if you know the character, he has enough, he has a distaste for Grimorians because of his gladiator days. So if he sees a Gamoran, he automatically attacks them. He does that in the comics. He did that so many times in freaking Bounty Hunters, the comic that me and you cover. They did it. They did it pretty. They did it fantastic. They did it pretty here. great. I, I, dude, I'm surprised. I, I feel like this is, might be one of the best adaptations we've had from a comic book character outside of maybe Ahsoka. We haven't seen enough of Ahsoka yet to fully say that she is a perfect adaptation so far she's pretty damn good in what we've seen last year in the mandalorian but 
I would have to say Black Chrysanthemum is the most surprising adaptation. Now, Mike, date. does this make you more comfortable thinking about characters like Valance yes. and Afra coming in? Yes, it's given me hope that Disney is willing <laughs> to do certain things because I was nervous that they're going to try to bring in these gray characters or sometimes straight up villains and try to Disney-fy them, which is what I was afraid they were doing with Fett at the beginning. Well, I was, but they are obviously willing to show us some brutality because that black chrysanthemum fight was every bit as brutal and visceral as it should be. And that's the thing is kind of like this episode laid the groundworks for us to feel comfortable with the idea that these characters are coming in. I'm sorry. When they did the cyberpunk, uh, the gang. Yeah. Automatically. I was like going, Man, if Valance does show up, I have I have faith that he might look good. But can he kill the biker gang though? Because I will say that that conscripted <laughs> cyborg group or mod gang. Now, now, Mike, they're just kids. <laughs> yeah, but like, were they getting ready to form Voltron? I mean, that's what it looked like they were doing. <laughs> it did. It did. Flying in the like the vertical V. Is that what the the inverted V formation? Yes. Like, what are you with guys their doing? multicolored bikes? No, no, no. I don't call those bikes, Raina. I call those mopeds. They yeah. were freaking mopeds. Yeah. Yeah. Those aren't swoops. <laughs> those are swoops for amateurs. Those are yeah, those are starting out bikes. Like, but, like how to how to fly. They, they were able to like tame Black Chrysanthemum though. It, it reminded me of Back to the Future too, when, you know, Back to the Future's idea of the future was all bright and colorful. I'm like, no, that's and skateboards. Not, yeah, that's not a thing. <laughs> but dude, the, the even, Those things don't flow on water. You have to have power, David. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Even even with the problems that I'm sure we're going to discuss about the biker gang, just the fact that they introduced the idea of cybernetics into Star Wars, you do realize we haven't really seen cybernetics in Star Wars, if you think about it, besides Luke. It is such a big part of the comics and books comics and and video games and in cyborg or modded characters it's a huge part and we've never actually seen any of those types of characters in live action except perhaps you could say lobot as well from cloud city lobot vader luke those were the characters that popped into my head that basically said what are the times in Star Wars besides right now where we've seen cybernetics used? I mean, Grievous, but he doesn't really count. Grievous his, doesn't his count, name. dude, because Grievous basically decided to get rid of all of his organics. Yeah. So he's more robot. Than he's he. got his penis. He's more though. machine now. He got to keep the penis. Oh, my God. He's that got up. <laughs> he, he just transformed it to a double wielding penis. <laughs> double wielding. Double sided, I should say. Double. He saw General Kenobi. No. <laughs> Plenty of arms to hold down your loved one. That, oh, hold down. Hold down. I was going to say hold dildos in each hand. Jesus. And both of you guys' statements were very telling about your sexual exploits. <laughs> Raina likes to no, hold nothing. people down or hold, be held down, and David likes to shove dildos. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, you're the one who was talking about his penis. Exactly. I was making a joke. You guys were talking from a real place. And I'm very <laughs> oh uncomfortable. I'm very uncomfortable now. I can't say anything. I can't say one thing. Of course you can. Simmer down. <laughs> Jesus. She's away for six weeks and forgot how shows work. But that, but, <laughs> but that's what I mean, though, with when it comes to the cybernetics, though. Just like what you said, it's such an, an integral part of Star Wars visually that I think that this is the first time we've ever seen it fully right in our face. Yeah. Of like, 
Yeah, you you could you could say Finnick Shad, but that was all hidden. You're you're literally right. seeing someone like a piece of half of their face is missing. Well, also, the people we're talking about, except for Grievous, they didn't choose to use the mods. That was the thing too. The, the, these people chose. Right. That's why it's interesting. And this is why when you get characters like or not characters, writers like Favaro and Filoni, they're pulling things that JJ and Ryan Johnson would have no idea what they are. He, do you think they know oh what black God. what the black melons were yeah. in tattooing? Do you think they would know what mods and cyborgs are in in the Star Wars sense? Absolutely not. Did we have the any only- cyborgs in in the new trilogy? We didn't have any, did we? I don't remember. I don't think we did. What did we have in those movies? Let's not get into that. A lot please. of crying. Yeah. Let's, no, we're not going there. Uh, talking about the uh, the cybernetics, though. Yeah. Um, really horrible joke by Boba Fett about the guy's eye. Keep an eye on them. Keep an eye on them. Oh, yeah. That, that was, was so terrible. <laughs> That's what I heard was, when he said that. It's yeah. like, oh, wow. Okay. He has a that sense of humor. Joke. Yeah, that wasn't very good. I will say I did like Danny Trejo as the new Rancor Keeper. Oh, my God, dude. Yes. Talk about the perfect casting for the Rancor Keeper. At first, when I had heard that he was going to be in Star Wars, I was a little nervous only because he's one of those characters that is hard to see as anything other than Danny Trejo. No, Machete. Well, that, that's Danny Trejo. <laughs> M- machete is Danny Trejo. <laughs> so that's what I see every time I see him. So I wasn't quite sure how I'd feel. And Robert Rodriguez found the best role for yes. Danny Trejo to play. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, especially when Danny was talking as oh, Danny, the, first name basis. <laughs> was talking as the uh, Rancor, I guess he's the Rancor Keeper. Yeah, the Rancor Keeper. But, like, the way he talks, all of a sudden I'm like, going, holy crap, Danny Trio's more than just Machete. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, dude, he, he can now claim to be in Star Wars. But I, I will say that this is an aspect, this whole entire Rancor thing, this is an aspect that was a nod to the old expanded universe as well as the new era of Star Wars. Yes. They have described the Rancors as being relatively docile. And the fact that they explain that this one's a calf that's wearing the blinders because they explain about the imprinting process, about them seeing the first human. That's how they imprint. That's all from the books. And then he mentions the Dathmer witches writing on them. Oh my God, that's dude. from the books. That's from the books and Clone Wars. Yes. So it, it got me a little excited because they are bringing or building out the world of Star Wars. And honestly, that's the thing that I look forward to the most. I want to say with these Star Wars TV shows, I'm all about the bigger world, not necessarily like how Marvel fans are always waiting for the credit sequence. And if they don't get a good credit sequence at the end, that means the entire movie sucks. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that I look for your cosmology. How are you adding to your story, but also to the world of Star Wars as a whole? And the fact that they're re introducing certain elements that we might have missed because of the great retcon of 2012 and they're bringing these little bits in again and officially making them canon it just feels consistent and it shows you Mm -hmm. that that these shows are in capable hands with Favreau and Filoni I mean Favreau needs to take a backseat and just be the boss he needs to quit fucking writing (laughs) but his ideas are great 
you know, and I, and I like that they do things like this because it shows their awareness of the fandom. Yes. And, you know, for many years, I talked shit about fandoms and saying that you shouldn't listen to them and you shouldn't to a degree. But if you are writing a, an IP that's beloved by a fandom, then you need to be in order for you to be considered the right choice for the film. You need to have a little bit of solidarity with them, meaning you should already be aware of what they want, even if they don't. You should at least have respect for Does that make sense? Like, you have someone like J.J. and Ryan Johnson, and and I'm I'm okay with those movies, okay? They're not great. I'm okay with them. But you don't get the idea of any type of real understanding of Star Wars post-1984. When did Return of the Jedi come out? 1984? 1984. That's the extent of their knowledge, it feels. It feels like they didn't even pay attention to the prequels. They're like, yeah, you know, I really liked the trilogy when I was a kid, the original trilogy as a kid. And that's what they used for their entire basis. It felt very small and narrow in, in scope. Yeah. It Whereas felt- with one episode of Bubble Fett and one episode of Mandalorian setting aside the writing issues, it feels much grander in scope because they're introducing other elements of the world that feels consistent with what we know as being part of the Star Wars fandom. Well, that was the cool part about for me watching this with my wife, who's a, who's a Uber Star Wars geek and she has collected all the e, uh, expanded universe books and she's like schooling me and she says, no, this makes sense with the Rancor because the reason why Jabba's Rancor was so ferocious is because Jabba pretty much punished the rancor and kept it hungry and that's why it it starved him yeah and that's why it would eat everybody (laughs) yeah see i i like that too because the rancors were docile and that does that might create some inconsistencies with star wars fans who may not know all of the other you know iterations of star wars that is canon and that's one of them the reason why jabba's rancor was so terrifying and ate people was because Jabba starved him in order to make him him mean. It's a a good way to get uh, fans to invest in Star Wars more. So if these are just fans that are kind of just, oh, it's on Disney, it's easy to watch. Mm -hmm. They're going to hear things and they're going to say, okay, what is a rancor? What is the Witches of Dathmere? They're going to hear this random stuff. They're going to start Googling. I think it's a, I really do honestly believe it's a good way to get them to invest in Star Wars more than just the movies and the television series. And if you think about it, Rena, if you think about it, Thinking about the se- thinking about like the the sequel trilogy, was there ever a moment where we got to sit back and say, "Oh, what is that about?" Well, okay, well, so you bring up a great point, and as and that you're adding on to my narrow narrow vision as opposed to a broader scope, and y- just to stress that point, Dave, the Last Jedi had the perfect opportunity had the perfect when opportunity. when Luke talks to Ray. About everything that happened, he doesn't even use Palpatine's name. He just says, do you know a Jedi was the one that blah, 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 that started the Empire? You know, assuming it, obviously we're assuming he's talking about the Dark Lord of the Sith, Palpatine. But instead of saying his name and then talking about the Sith and, and expanding the world, it's very narrow in conversation and it's only stripped down to what you need to know in order for the plot to continue. Yes. And that's it. That's the problem with those movies. They're just so small in scope. And just like Raina said, when you're 
doing stories like this, it allows people to become more invested in the world because you are there Googling and trying to figure out what a Rancor is. What's a Rancor Keeper? The twins? Who are these huts that are cousins of Jabba? These are all interesting things that they're doing to add to the greater world of Star Wars. And that's why I really like what they did with Mandalorian. And I like what they're doing with Fett, where they deviate just a bit to give us other stories other characters so that we feel like they're really fleshing out this time frame in the Star Wars universe. Although, dude, do you really think that I know that a lot of fans right now, because of this episode, yeah. everyone wants to see Boba Fett riding the Rancor. Oh, it's going to happen. Do you think it's going to happen this season? Yes. I don't think so. David, it has gonna, to happen. I, I'm telling you now, we're going to have a st- standoff with Fennec Shand, Fett, the Mando. We all know he's coming. The Rancor Keeper. The Rancor. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a black chrysanthemum. We have the cyborgs, which who gives a shit about them? But I'm telling <laughs> you, we're going to get an Avengers moment. We're going to even get that, that Dolly crane shot that goes around them, you know, with the uh, <laughs> all, you know, Hulk is growling and Scarlet Johansson is showing her boobs and Thor showing his biceps. We're going to get that. But with the Star Wars characters i guarantee you they're not teaming up all these characters for no reason we're gonna get that finale finesse where they have first off dave they have to compete with how they ended the second season of mandalorian you can't go out with a whimper no when you when you bring luke in for your finale you have to work towards an epic finale as well, pretty much almost with every Star Wars show from here on out. <laughs> pretty much. So their gear, I guarantee you they're gonna they're gonna start gearing us up for something epic. All right, so the visuals of this episode were also stunning. The shot of uh, Boba riding the Bantha in the center of the screen oh. that you know it was framed symmetrically. That was a gorgeous shot. Oh, that was a beautiful shot. That was an amazing shot. And it was a homage of course, to the Western cinema. And I would probably say the spaghetti Western cinema to be more specific. In fact, a lot of the things, the semantics of, of the genre, the spaghetti Western is finding its way within fat, which is making me happy as well. Cause they're actually making this a real Western as a, opposed to, you know, a, a, what is it? A spoof Western, spoof which is Western, what yeah. parts of Mandalorian felt like. I'm like, oh, the guys are waking a Western. If you don't know, look at, he's going to tame this, <laughs> this little alien. It is basically, it's a metaphor for a horse. Yeah. We understand <laughs> that Favaro. You're beating us literally over the head with it. Let's be more subtle. Or I have spoken. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Such nerds. <laughs> Okay, so let's take us to final thoughts because it does bring us to the end. Or this does bring us to the end. David, give me your final thoughts and your percentage for the score. Go okay, ahead. Okay, well, the score for the, the score for this episode is low. I mean, oh. it's probably the lowest, uh, lowest of what's come out right now because I gave it a 80, flat 80. What really took away from me was that final chase scene. I, I agree with you. Half of the 50% of the visuals here were stunning. It really was. But then you get to that God awful chase scene because number one, the bikes of the biker gang look ridiculous. They look like mopeds. They're supposed to look like bikes or like motorcycles. They don't. They look like freaking mopeds. (laughs) 
And you know that no, shot. You know what they look like, Dave? They look like the those uh, the mobility those, scooters. Yeah, that you that you drive at Target and <laughs> yes. Walmart. Yeah, and that's what have rounds. That's what they. That's what they even look like. How they move. Yeah. And I and I was like going, wait a minute. There's no gravity to this chase scene because, Mike, do you remember the chase scene in Solo? Yeah. That awesome epic chasing with a speeder. You mean the homage to one of the greatest Lucas films of all time with Ron Howard in it? Exactly. I forgot what it's called now. <laughs> and uh, American Graffiti. Yeah. But like, then you get here with a chasing with a speeder that should have the same kind of like gravitas as like what we saw in Solo. It felt weird. And it felt off it felt slow it felt so slow and maybe this is you know a television budget rearing its head yeah but then you get those really nice beautiful stunning shots that we just talked about yeah i mean getting a long shot you know and putting a green screen or using that what the lcd technology they're using now it's already projecting the backgrounds and the sides already before they even go to post I mean, that's a relatively easy shot. A- asking people to drive fake scooters that <laughs> fly up walls fly up and walls. go through alleyways. That's all CGI and they just don't have the budget. And and especially when it, when it capped with one of the most ridiculous, I'm going to slide my bike toward the camera. That was dope. And pose. Listen, <laughs> Thatcher pose. can do it because she's a, she's a, she's young, I think, huh? So maybe I shouldn't say anything, but <laughs> she's attractive. But uh, so that's why in the 50%, not so much in fat. 50% of the visual effects brought it down for me, but it has two, one of the best fight scenes with black chrysanthemum. Yeah. Okay. So 80%. What about you, Raina? Mine's going to be lower. Oh, go. my really? gosh. I'm going with a 75 because visuals aside, what I felt held this this episode together was very little. I appreciate the backstory we got. Mm-hmm. Made me have a little bit more feelings for Fett, you know, and, and his story where he's going. But really just the Black Chrysanthemum scene and the, um, and the uh, Baby Rancor. Yeah, Those were the only things that really stood out to me that made this. I don't know, molded it together and yeah. it wasn't enough. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking for it to kick up a little bit in the next few episodes. Yeah. I, I feel your pain right now because I, I'm, in, I'm really conflicted and I, I continually go back and forth. David, you know this. That's why you're smiling right now because yeah. we do. We go back and forth because what they're giving us is fine. Yes. It's the way they're doing it. The writing does not hold your attention. The writing is not very good. I mean, this episode alone, how many times did Fett go back and forth? And the and he's walking. No. You're walk, dude. Okay, you want to look like you're you're you you're in control and you're you have complete agency. You want to look tough and not look like a hut on top of a, you know a sled. Fine, but you can get on a swoop bike. You're literally think about this for a second. The, the logic of this just throws me off. He's walking from Jabba's palace across the Dune Sea to get to Mos Espa. <laughs> <laughs> and then he walks all over town. Yes. Back and forth. Did the mayor set me up? No, oh, no. The mayor did, thing, dude. Or did Hottie McGee set me up? Oh, wait. Uh, the huts set me up. Oh, hi, huts. Now the huts are running away. 
Why did you bring the Hudson? There was no reason to bring the Hudson if you're going to deal with the Pikes. The Huts would never run away from the Pike Syndicate. I don't know, dude. We're going to leave. The, we're going to give up an entire planet that's technically owed to them because it was in their family yes. because the Pikes are getting involved. But here's the thing. I think setting the Listen, Pikes David, up as a big syndicate. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That's true. I'm I should, David, listen, I get what you're saying, and I understand the story reasons. Meaning yes. they're trying to, because most people don't know anything about the Pikes, they're trying to build them up build as them up. this group that they represent danger for everyone. The fact that the huts are taken off and leaving, it says a lot about who these people are. But it just feels weird that you introduce the twins and then you remove them. What was their true purpose? They don't have a purpose. You take them out of this story and you still have everything as is. And if I see Boba Fett bounce around, most ask but one more effing time. <laughs> That's very aggressive. So anyways, I'm going to give this score or this episode a 79%. Because the story itself is fine. It's just the way they are dispensing that story. They, they, I'm going to plead here one last time. I did this during Mandalorian. I'm going to do it again. Almost like a prayer, okay? <laughs> Everyone join hands. Please, baby Jesus. <laughs> allow Favaro just to be the voice. Let him be, him and Filoni be the Lucas. You know, combine brain powers, come up with good ideas and good stories. But please help him realize that he sucks at writing TV. And hire a goddamn writing room which is the way television is supposed to be written. The problem with Mandalorian season one and season two, even though they're fun and the problem with Fett so far is Favaro's writing. He does not know how to write for television. His act structure looks like the stock exchange It's just up and down and zigzags all over the fucking place for no rhyme or reason. No rhyme or reason at all. Look at the episode Filoni wrote last season. Oh, that was amazing. Of Mandalorian. The best episode, not because Ahsoka was in it. Listen, that helped. That was fantastic to see her. But why? Because the episode was written by him and he wrote it how television should be written with a proper act structure with a beginning and a definitive ending. There was closure with the idea of continuation. That's how you're supposed to wrap up episodes, even though they're serials. With Favaro, it just seems like he writes and then he gives up. I'm like, all right, this is the end of this episode. Why? Ah, I just got tired. It does go to seem send like this that. one in, and uh, but it's only 38 minutes. Exactly. The last episode was 28 minutes. Ah, I'm done. I, I, it's lunch. I'm gonna go eat some lunch. <laughs> uh, it's called. It's a wrap on this one. All right, I'm gonna start writing the third episode. His wife calls. It's time for dinner. Uh, you know, I, I ended this one at 46 minutes. Uh, yeah, it's okay. There's no rhyme or reason for his running time. It's all over the place. And that's why the show suffers. Yes. A hundred percent agree with that one. All right. So this does bring us to the end. I want to thank everyone for listening and please stick with us because we are enjoying the show. And just some writing issues. That's all. All right. Thank you, Raina. Thank you guys. And thank you, David. May the force be with us. I want to learn to ride this one.
and beast ten times its size. Ah, oh, yes! <laughs>